Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, this is Karen at the Good Divorce Show. Today we are chatting with two individuals, Aaron and Mitch, who are 10 years post-divorce. So happy to have you with us on the show. Welcome. Thank you. We're very happy to be here. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having us. As yeah. we were chatting just before we hit the record button, these are simply stories so that we can give our listeners an example of what a healthy, vibrant family can look like post-divorce. Tell us a little bit about the family structure and what was happening um, in the history that led into the marriage and then led into the divorce. So, you know, Mitch and I both came from divorced families. Um, but we, so when we got together, we sort of had that history, both of us. Um, but we dated for three years and then we're married for eight. Um, and then, you know, sort of at the, at the end of our marriage, we had, you know, we had two kids along the way who, uh, at the time that we separated were, um, 11 and 13, uh, we, had empathy for the situation that they were in. I think we did a really good job of prioritizing that from the beginning. Right. Mitch, what do you remember from your own experience as a child of divorce and what you knew you wanted to avoid? Oh yeah. I, um, so I, I was, and, and just to go back. So, um, our kids are, are 13, um, 13, the girls, 13 and the boys 11. Now when we got divorced, um, our daughter was about five and a half and our son was about three. And I was kind of in that age um, when my parents got divorced. I remember it just being a real kind of clear demarcation, um, you know, where my dad went out of the house and then there was no more talking between the two of them. And there was just kind of this cloud. You know, I think that that kind of reverberated through uh, mine and my siblings upbringing um, and I, and it's something, it was like Aaron said, it was a commonality, um, that Aaron and I shared where we just remember that kind of that mood and that atmosphere that wasn't, that wasn't good for us, um, between our parents at the time. And our, our parents, I think, you know, Aaron's parents, my parents, they were doing the best they could. Um, they're working hard in, in their lives and, and trying to move on. Um, and they were also doing, you know, going along with a lot of what our culture was, um, was asking of them in their gender roles as divorced parents, um, mm -hmm. you know, but it just that kind of like fallout from it was, um, was obviously kind of a bummer for, you know, as a kid and, and growing up. Yeah, understandably. And Aaron, what do you remember from your experience? What did that look like as a child for you? Yeah, I think so. I was like, I was six or six and a half when my parents divorced. And, you know, for me, I think it was the same, like life changed a lot, right? You know, my, it's interesting because I come from a very religious family. My dad's a Lutheran minister and my mom comes from a family of like clergy and teachers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there was this effort for them to do things, you know, they really wanted to do things right, but there was also a lot of stigma around divorce at the time. And also I think probably a lot of stigma around a Lutheran minister getting divorced. Um, so I think I like afterwards, there was a lot of like, the focus wasn't put on the kids. The focus was, you know, my, my mom was rebuilding her life. My dad was kind of focusing on his congregation and working a ton. And I think that there was sort of some inadvertent neglect that happened mm -hmm. for the kids, you know, where it, it, like our, our interests and our priorities were not at the forefront. So we kind of, you know, we were kind of like shuffled around a lot. My mom moved a ton and we were, you know, that my parents tried to be so fair that they actually shot themselves in the foot, you know? And like, at one point my parents each took my, I, there was my sister and I, you know, sort of in the fallout and they each took a, my parents each took a child and then they would like switch every six months and we would start at a different school and be with a different parent. And, oh wow, and we, so it was, and it kind of, so there were, you know, there was a lot of like 
pieces of education that I missed, you know, where I like I was it was learned at one of the schools and then I'd switch and then it would have already been learned in the new school. So there there were just like chunks of mm. education that I missed because of how curriculum was different at different elementary schools. And did you and your sister, what was your relationship like with her during that experiment of parenting between houses? I I think it definitely, um, it definitely drove a wedge because we didn't have that like bond. Like we could have been, we could have been like a support for each other, but Mm -hmm. we weren't around. We just weren't around each other enough to be able to like commiserate or say like, gosh, this is crazy. Mom did this or dad did that. Or, you know, like we didn't have like, we didn't have a confidant in each other. We didn't Mm -hmm. have that kind of like closeness that you hope for siblings. Sure. We were like, we just weren't in each other's orbit enough. Yes. Certainly in our family, um, my husband and I identify that our kids are so close and they're the constant relationship that moves between our homes and our lives. The parents, we almost become the secondary because we only spend part of our contact time with them, whereas they really have each other. And I always felt what a blessing that they've had each other through this journey. And that relationship is really, really tight. And as they get ready to launch into college, they're having their own heartbreak of not living together anymore, not being together. So as you put all of this experience of your own childhoods and it's now simmering in the soup pot of your own life and your marriage starts to get wobbly. I can only imagine that some of that PTSD or concern was starting to, to bubble up for yourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, like no, no one goes into marriage wanting or expecting to divorce. And I think, you know, for me, it just brought up a lot of like, like, am I failing? Am I, you know, have we done something wrong? How, like, how can we get back on track? Is there, is there a different, like, is there a way out of this that isn't divorce? Is there a way that we can, you know, figure out how to make it work? Sure. And like many couples, you went to counseling and Mitch, just talk a little bit about that decision and that work and, and why you would still say that marital counseling was valuable in this relationship. Yeah, I, I think that um, Aaron said it also because we both had a very kind of willful um, attitude towards, you know, keeping this marriage going. And, and you know, it, in, in many ways, that, that's admirable. In the end, it was misplaced because we were kind of just holding on, you know, like gripping it, right? And part of that was us saying, hey, we need an outsider to, to, to help us out. Um, and, you know, I... I <laughs> it's funny because we went to marriage counseling and um, we met, a, we worked with a wonderful woman and it was really, it was lovely. And we, we jumped in and, and got some communication tools and we got some clarity. Um, and at, along the way, I, I was sharing this with friends and I remember talking to my, my coworker and he was, he had a bit of a cynical eye and he's like, oh man, you know, marriage counseling never works. Like, look at the stats, man. Like you're just going to a divorce, just rip the bandaid off. And it's an expensive bandaid. Once you throw a marriage counselor in, it's just a waste of money. And so, but it was, it was a great process for me and Aaron um, because we had great conversations, not just in the room, but I remember a lot of our drives back and our conversations at home you know, we were taking those communication tools and figuring out what we wanted and figuring out each other's needs and figuring out they weren't working within this structure of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't working for us individually and as a couple. Um, so it, it, um, it was a really awesome process. And, you know, I would give Aaron credit in that I think Aaron kind of um, comes to understanding a little bit earlier than I do. And she'll sometimes kind of just wait for me. Um, and it was that moment where I think, you know, we had kind of a conversation where we just, we let go of that tight grip we were holding on trying to, to, to keep this marriage together. And all of the, the reasons we were telling ourselves, including it's what's best for the kids. And we came to a different understanding and and shared understanding of, Hey, it doesn't work and that's okay. And (laughs) 
we went in to our next um, couples counseling session. And I remember Aaron was like, hey, so, you know, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, Mitch and I have decided that we're getting a divorce. And the counselor was crestfallen. She was like, what? This is a shock. I'm so surprised we were doing such great work in here. And I really thought we were, we were, you know, going places. And I really thought we were on the right track. And Aaron spent the next like 15 or 20 minutes consoling the marriage counselor that <laughs> you're great. You're great at what you do. We're just, we're, it's not, it's you, not it's you, it's us. us. It's <laughs> not you, it's us. Yeah. Do you remember that moment for yourself, Aaron, where there was just clarity? I, I hear some couples talk about, you know, we've been fighting for the marriage but then how do we fight for the good divorce? Like there's, there's still a relationship. The marriage is ending, but yeah. there's a forever relationship. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause I remember, you know, at the very end, like after we kind of decided to divorce and, and we had, we had a very like, ugh, it's going to make me emotional, but we had a very heartfelt conversation about, um, that we were so grateful that we were going to be in each other's lives. I think we really depended on each other for friendship and, you know, support. And that we were kind of relieved that we were going to be co-parenting together that like, you know, like the marriage might be over, but we were not, we weren't going to like disappear from each other's lives that we were like, you know, we were in it for the long haul. And I think we were, um, we were actually like, and we joked, we're like, there's no one I would rather be divorced from <laughs> you know, because it wasn't just the divorce. It was that like, there was this guarantee of still being like co-parents and partners in that way. You're going to share grandbabies and graduations <laughs> and soccer games and funerals and weddings. Right. And I think people, yeah. when they're in that early decision-making point, they forget that those decisions cast a very long shadow and echo throughout not only your lives as parents, but your children's lives. And you reflected on how some of your parents' divorce, divorce decisions absolutely left a fingerprint in your life. And to also not lose sight, and I really hear it as the both of you talk about it, there's a love story in there. There is a reason we came together. There's a reason that we created these beautiful little babies together and that we don't have to discard the goodness that still exists in the divorce. And, and for you, that's your co-parenting relationship. And Mitch, you identified that, you know, you really have a, a high regard and respect for Aaron as a parent and vice versa. Why does that matter? How does that help you? And how did it help you approach this decision? Yeah, I think, you know, when you, when, when you jump on and, and start talking about about a good divorce and and a little bit of the self-consciousness I, I bring into this conversation is like what sense of authority or, or what secret sauce do I bring um because it is just there there's something I would say is just luck right about um a good divorce so to speak and a big piece of that luck is Aaron's a great parent um so you know it's it's easy to it's kind of like being you know, being dealt a winning hand on that front where like, what did you do? Um, and it's, it's a, it contributes to some of the ease of being divorced and some of the joy of co-parenting when you got a collaborator who's as great at parenting as Aaron is. So, you know, it's hard to pat yourself on the back for what you do and how you manage a situation when, you know, you're sitting on pocket aces on that front. So um, it just, you know, it, it, it allows me to trust a lot of the decisions that we, that she brings as far as our um, co-parenting and, and her perspective on our kids and her insight on our kids. Um, so in that respect, I, I think that just, that's just a, uh, that's just kind of an acknowledgement out there that I, I appreciate not everyone's in the same boat and mm -hmm. it's a dynamic that, that we have and that we're lucky to have, and I'm lucky to have. So um, I, I should stop talking on that front because. Well, uh, it's nice I, of you to gush on your first wife. <laughs> 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 there's, there's no crime in that. Yes. What would you add, Aaron? 
Well, and I, you know, I feel the same way. And I think that that is, that's also where Mitch and I really aligned at the beginning was that we both really love our kids. And we, mm-hmm. it's like, that was a common factor for both of us. And, and I have the same feeling about Mitch where I'm so grateful that he is my kid's father, you know, that he is like, he's so involved. And I know that, you know, there, there can be this tendency for like, either dads to like not be included after a divorce, you know, mm-hmm. as much as they probably should be, or for, you know, resentments to get in the way and for the parents to not be able to come together in a way that makes it easy for the, you know, the kids to be shared evenly. And I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm really grateful that Mitch wants to be as involved of a father as he is, you know, because I'm grateful for the support, but I'm also grateful for my kids that they have a great dad. Wow. It's so beautiful. What a, what a wonderful sentiment and and reminder to folks. I've had a mentor who once said, it's important that you love your children more than you dislike their other parent. And when we put it like that, that's pretty easy to do, or I should say it's simple in theory and maybe not emotionally easy because even as we talk to both of you as a good divorce, no doubt there's pain and grief and heartache that also came in the journey. And when we come back from our break with Aaron and Mitch, we'll hear about the divorce process and how they were able to retain this mutual regard and respect on behalf of their children. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm Karen and I'm chatting with Aaron and Mitch today. Married eight years, now divorced eight years. So they're moving into the longer uh, part of their relationship and I just want to ask you directly, Aaron, as you and Mitch were were really looking down the, the truth that this marriage is complete and coming to an end, both of you brought your own story of divorce as adult children of divorce, trauma from that experience, wishing things had been different. What were the guiding principles that you leaned on as you were making your own decisions around this divorce journey? Well, you know, I think one thing that, that Mitch and I were both really clear on a few things. Um, one of them was that we did not want to have a contentious divorce. It was, we had seen it happen, you know, in our families and we had seen it happen for a few friends. And it was, I think we saw like how hard that was. And we had experienced how hard that can be on kids, like the kids who are involved. And for us, it, everything started to become like every decision that we made, every way that we interacted, whatever, whatever we decided about the schedule, like it all came down to the kids and what we thought was best for them. 
And it really made things, it made things like really clear and easy once we knew that was the focus. And we, you know, that was one thing we were really aligned on, which Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for because it it was just, it was like a unifying, clarifying factor. Right. And was that an easy place for you to arrive at as well, Mitch? Yeah. And and it, it, it sort of set the tone and set the pathway for a lot of our discussions and how we went about it. Um, you know, we, we got a mediator and, and felt like we were collaborative enough and shared enough um, values where we could kind of trust that process rather than, you know, any other one. Um, mm-hmm. So it was definitely, you keep the kids in focus. You, you're in agreement, you know, the vast majority of the time, because it's pretty clear what's going to be healthy for those kids. I think like, just like our therapist, we really confused our mediator because (laughs) mediation, we were, we had like inside jokes and we were laughing and we were, you know, kind of once we got through this, you know, kind of the, the initial like adjustment period of like, okay, this is what's happening and this is what we're doing. I think we kind of switched into a different mode pretty quickly where we were like, we're still ourselves, you know? Tell me a little bit about the decisions that were made. I think listeners are curious who, you know, did you have a family home? Did you have to sell it? Did someone stay in the home, the assets? Because you're right. There's, there's the two parts of the divorce experience. One, the emotional untangling, but then there's all of this logistical. It's so easy to get married and it's really complex to get divorced. Okay. So we, we had a family home and I, I guess what I, what I feel, feel like this is like the right time to bring up this idea that I think, you know, from the beginning, Mitch and I have been like, I I feel like it's mutual, but I feel like sometimes I have reaped more of the benefits of it, but I feel like we've both been very generous with each other, you know, and we had a family home and like Mitch let me and the kids like live there, you know, until, Mm. until it was like the right time to sell. And it was, you know, so the kids and I were there and that allowed them to have some consistency. And, um, and I feel like we sort of brought that spirit of like give and take a little bit to the whole process. So, you know, besides the house, we didn't really have a ton of finances to split. So that kind of made it easy. And we just, that was what we really wanted the mediator for was like, tell us what's fair. What is the state of California say when it comes to, um, dividing up finances and what's, you know, how does, how do the finances look moving forward? And, you know, and then there were also some ways that like, when it came to custody at the time I was, you know, we started out with this. um, It was a situation where I had the kids like four days a week and Mitch had them three days a week. And we, they were really, you know, the kids were so young at the time being three and five that we both kind of felt like, let's, you know, let's have them be around their mom a little bit longer, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then when it came to the summer, we kind of flipped the schedule to, to help everyone's like weekly schedule out. Cause it is a lot to be like, I was the parent, I was the parent who was on during the week and then I'd have the weekends off and then he was traveling and, you know, so he would have kids on the weekends and he was traveling for work. So we kind of, you know, we started off in a way that made sense for, you know, kind of for everyone's needs. And then as we got a little further in, it was like, Mitch wanted, you know, 50, 50 custody. That's what he requested in the, you know, in our divorce agreement. And that was really, that it was really hard. Like, that's where I felt like, okay, I need to be generous because it was hard to give up my kids, uh, you know, not have them every other week. And, and to feel like, I mean, I, you know, it was really the time when I didn't have them and them being so little, it was just like heartbreaking. And I was like, what did I do? And, you know, Mitch, what do you remember of that time and wanting to shift the schedule and and the perspective of the father? Yeah, I I think what I would say, you know, to echo Aaron's um, sentiments is that certain things, and I guess I'm sure it changes couple by couple, but certain things are black and white and it's, you know, that's not a worry. And other things, what I would describe are works in progress, understanding that it's kind of an experimental process, right? Like it doesn't work. Like we didn't, we didn't think about it, right? Where Aaron's like, you know, it seems delightful that I get all of my weekends, but on the flip side, I don't take my kids for a weekend trip, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not mommy's spa weekend. It's also a lost opportunity to, to go hiking or, you know, 
take them to, on a family trip. Yeah. And I think also there are, you know, like kind of like Mitch is saying, there are, are different things that are better for kids at different times. And I think, you know, when the kids were younger, it was actually better for them to see each of us more frequently. Right. So like it was, you know, for the kids to be away from me or away from Mitch for an entire week when they were three and five was like, that would have been so confusing for them and hard on them. And, you know, I think then as they got older, then it was like, it's actually to switch them all the time like that. Like they're old enough and they understand enough now where they don't, they won't feel abandoned, but now switching them and switching their stuff every three or four days is like, so it's so disruptive and disorienting that they can't like sink into life fully because they're anticipating the next move, you know? And so it's kind of like figuring out how things needed to adjust along the way to like truly be better for them. And I, you know, I think even in my, like my agreeing to do like 50, 50 custody, it was, you know, it was hard for me, but I think in the end, it was like the thing that made me agree to it was like, but this is best for them. It is, it's best for the kids to have a father who's like fully present in their lives and not a weekend dad. Simply by following your parenting intuition. And and when I'm coaching couples, this is something we talk about a lot. I would say, you know, your kids, the, the law, the court is going to expect you to write down a very rigid parenting plan, do it, tuck it away, and then liberate your life on behalf of your children. So if someone's traveling, family's in town, we've got a special occasion. Can we be flexible? It's the same thing we would do if we were living under the same roof. Right. Parents have to coordinate childcare. And so to think of that as a dynamic evolution over time is so wise. And you're absolutely right. And the research will show us that, you know, under the age of five is really about attachment. It's where we sort of create that attachment style that's going to echo into our older relationships in life. So having access to both parents makes sense. And, And I think where parents get in trouble is they hold on to the rigidity of what has been written down and they don't actually just look at the story that they're in and that we are the authors of our family story. You know, Mitch is in my case, I think one thing that really helps us is, you know, like we were saying before, we trust each other as parents, but I think we really trust each other as co-parents and we trust that like what the ways that we're flexible, the other person is going to be flexible with us you know, like when it comes to the schedule now, you know, Mitch travels for work and I am doing some traveling as well. And I think that we are, um, we're really good at just like a little give and take here and there, you know, that like whatever, whatever work trips Mitch has, like they take priority. He's, he's got to do them. So then my, you know, the, my schedule with the kids might change. I might pick up a day here or there, or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that, it's easy. It's like very easy to be generous with each other and flexible when we know the other person is going to reciprocate. And also that it like, again, it's better for everyone to not have conflict every time schedule change comes up, but there's a lot of stuff that's like beyond our control. That's right. And to remember behavior is contagious. So for those out there listening and thinking my partner is never flexible, I'm like, well, if you bring it, then they'll start to trust it. And then that can become a reciprocal relationship. I am so curious how you both spoke to your children about this decision and the early transition into two homes. Yeah, I, I, I remember we were on the same page, literally. We were sharing books that both of us were reading. We were looking at the same information about how to treat each other. You know, so, so two, two pieces of advice that pop out in my memory before we told the kids is, you know, we walked, we, we, we looked at different um, examples of how to, you know, that meeting that you need to have with the kids. And Aaron and I agreed on which one was best suited for us and for our kids and, you know, their age. And then as, and, and so you have that kind of momentous, you know, sit down on our, it was, it was in the holiday season, you know, the Christmas trees right there. And, you know, you know, you're going to just lay the hammer on these kids, which is devastating, even in memory. Um, But we had the tools in place and we were on the same page about it. So we could go about it together 
um, knowing that this was going to be the best way. Like, it's not a great situation for the kids, um, but we, we had some teamwork uh, to go into that. And then, you know, even something as a small detail that we came across in that information is this one writer explained, you know, when you speak bad about your co-parent in front of your kids, they take that as 50% them. They know that they are 50% their mom, they're 50% their dad. And that's an exaggerated form where, you know, back to your point about behavior being contagious, it, it's, you know, it's not like we would ever disparage each other, but how you talk about your co-parent is telling your kids something. Absolutely. Um, that's number one. Number two, Aaron and I agreed it back to that kind of teamwork aspect. We agreed, okay, here are the principles we're taking into this divorce how we're going to structure our time, how we're going to treat each other and you know, why, how, why, and how we're going to put our kids first. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's the conversation with the children, very thoughtful, very intentional, but then there's also the broader community. There's family and relatives and friends <laughs> and school kids. And so Aaron, walk us down how that revealed something that started with a birthday party. I recall. <laughs> yes. So at the time I have to admit, I was not happy about it. Um, but we had this very tight knit group of friends from the preschool that we went to, you know, we went to this great, very like community focused preschool and, you know, tons of couples and tons of kids right around the ages of ours. And we didn't want it. We really did not want anyone to feel like they had to choose between us. Yes. You know, How did you do that? Oh my God. I actually <laughs> like this was, at the time, again, I was not happy about it because it felt so hard for me, but Mitch, so we were, Mitch's birthday is in mid January and we had decided to divorce like pretty much, you know, right around the holidays. And we kind of rode the holidays out knowing what was coming, but wanting to, you know, preserve the holidays for the kids as much as we could and, and kind of like keep things together. So and then we got to this point where we were, you know, Mitch had moved out, but we still hadn't told our friends because we were, it was just, it was so raw. And we knew that every time we'd be talking about it, it would be sad. So we kind of like, it got, it got to be mid January. We still hadn't told any of our friends and we were throwing actually friends of ours were hosting a birthday party for Mitch. And it got to be like the night, you know, the before, and here we're like not living together, but we're going to celebrate his birthday together. And I was like, what are we doing? This is so, I'm so, I don't want to go and like put on a, you know, pretend at this party. I won't be able to hold it together. And Mitch is like, hold on a second. And he sends out an email to everyone who's coming to his birthday party. And, and our friends were like, saints for hosting this for us but, and, we didn't know and he sent this email out to everyone and was like hey just want to let you know Aaron and I are getting a divorce and we're about to show up to my birthday and we want everyone to like we want you to know like it's okay we're okay we're moving forward as a family and we really we want please come to this party because it's not just my birthday party this is like it's more than that. And it, it was like, and I was so terrified to walk in there because it was like this huge reveal, yeah. <laughs> like this very emotional reveal. And it was, it was actually kind of amazing because then we had, we had that conversation one time we, you know, we didn't have to have it individually with all these friends and, and break the news to everyone. It was like, everyone knew it at once if people wanted to talk about it and how surprised they were, they could talk about it then at this party. It was a, it was a really amazing and like surprisingly great way to deal with it. Thank you, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, can you reveal a little bit of what was spinning in your head and the intention behind that email? What, what clicked and shifted for you around that birthday party? Well, um, you know, a, a few things I would say is one, again, it was, this was about the echo, right? Like Aaron and I had had the pain, you know, we, we joke, we joke sometimes that, or we did back then, like when other people say, Hey, we're getting a divorce. We sometimes think congratulations, yeah. <laughs> you know, because 
where you should have said I'm sorry was two years ago when they were in the thick of it and they couldn't figure out a a light in the forest, right? Where we had kind of, Aaron and I had done the emotional processing. And so you're almost sitting, you're almost going to that party comforting people. And there's also this other gap where you're you're really trying to to figure out um, how to express, no, 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 it's not what you think. You know, because there's such a taboo or there's such a pejorative aspect to divorce that, you know, they're, they're coming to that situation with oftentimes a misunderstanding. Um, so that was one of the aspects of it. And, you know, Erin skips over the part that she was throwing me this party, right? Like she was doing all the work as far as getting the food and, and organizing the, the, the booze and the, you know, the guest list and all that kind of stuff. And so that was still like, she was still being extremely generous. And you kind of wanted to point that out as the aspect of, hey, this is, you know, like everyone would be in sad dad's apartment, you know, with a with a, a keg of beer if, if this were really a problem, right? Like, and I think that's the last aspect that I would point out is like, it takes a village. It takes a village on a good divorce too. Such and- a beautiful, inspiring story of how to come together as that healthy family. When we come back, Aaron and Mitch, pioneers of the good divorce, are going to just talk a little bit about sort of the afterglow in these eight years since that decision. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back. If you're just joining us, we are chatting with pioneers of The Good Divorce Aaron and Mitch coming to us from LA. And part of what has been so honestly just quite enjoyable in chatting with both of you is this positive regard that you have for each other and this unification around your children. And what I need to remind our listeners and remind myself that unification doesn't always mean agreement, but bringing the tools of the relationship into the post-divorce relationship where there can be healthy discourse. I'm guessing that there's times where the two of you are in a co-parenting conversation where you might not be totally aligned, but you're able to stay in it. What does that look like, Mitch? I guess my mind goes first to that kind of principle of trust, you know, and, and respect that we have for each other. I definitely have it for Aaron and for Aaron's intentions for our kids. So you know, you, you lean on that also because you know, you're, 
fallible. You're just an, your own individual with your kind of fixed perspective and you need to broaden that perspective. And I've always, you know, enjoyed Aaron's perspective on everything, right? So just as, as a quick reminder in our background, we're both artists and we were accustomed to looking at each other's artwork and making notes. And you understand from that, even from that model that, you know, the critique is how do we get better? How does this painting get better? So I think that background helped when it comes to, uh, hey, how does our co-parenting, how do these kids get better by, by sharing some of the things that we don't, don't necessarily agree with? Um, and, and I think for me, some of that happens by understanding each other's strengths. Um, you know, Erin mentioned the, the preschool that we went to. She found that preschool. Um, you know, so she had, and she found the, the current school where the kids are, where she has certain strengths. And so when I realized, hey, I might be out of my depth, or this is kind of aligned with Aaron's strengths, I might disagree, but I, I might also defer. And I also have to feel comfortable bringing it up. Um, you know, a, another one is our kids' health. Aaron just has a good sense for it. I might be a little bit oblivious as far as like, hey, should they stay home or not? And I kind of lean on Aaron a little bit where there's certain kind of territories where I'll look to her, even if, you know, if I'm, if I disagree or if I have a different opinion, you got to work through that. You got to talk through that. And sometimes you got to defer because you trust him. Right. How, how does that play out for you, Aaron? You know, I think it is, it's like that trust, but it's also like trusting myself to bring up, even if it comes to something that Mitch is sort of um, the specialist at it's also important for me to like, if, if something comes up on my intuition, like, I don't know, should we be doing this team and not another one? Like, it's important for me to still say that, you know, we're still guiding her, our kids ships together. Right. Um, <laughs> I think we're a work in progress, Karen, work, work in progress. progress. Well, and I think that is the amazing message. The relationship is still evolving and growing. You don't get divorced and and amputate each other from your lives if you share children. So you might as well go for the other option, which is integration. And what I'm really hearing from both of you is just a, a healthy ego that is in check in regards to each other. If more couples, while they were married, recognize this is your strength, this is mine, we can complement each other, and then still take that and let that continue into the divorce relationship and appreciate one another for those superpowers that we may not share. Yeah. And I, I also think that, you know, there's something about our relationship as, you know, divorced co-parenters in that we have, we have this, like, you know, in our marriage there, in our marriage, there's sort of, you know, like Mitch was kind of talking about, we were like holding on so tight and there was this gridlock and it was hard to like, I think it was hard to navigate our own triggers within that relationship. And there's something about like, now we have this relationship, but we have distance between each other. And I think it's actually makes it easier for us to navigate things that come up between the two of us, because we're not in the same house together. You know, there's stuff that we're navigating as like this ex couple, but there's a lot tied into it because of you know, our own histories and dynamics and how we want to move forward with our, you know, our kids. And, and I think Karen, to, to piggyback on, uh, again, on Aaron's statements, you know, one of the things that the, the a huge gift of the divorce that Aaron's story kind of illustrates is intention. You know, we, we both got clear intention. And one of that was the intention of how we want to treat each other, right? When we were gridlocked in the divorce, some of that, a lot of that behavior was accidental. And a lot of those slights and that resentment were, were unconscious and accidental. And it was a terrible pattern. And the space that Aaron talks about allows us to have a little more intention about each other. And, you know, another principle that we talked about earlier is just that kind of manners, right? Like how you talk about, how, how you talk to each other, how you treat each other. And, you know, just because there's that intensity of parenting, don't take those things for granted, how you treat each other. And reminding people, you know, we get 
we move towards divorce because the marriage is struggling and the relationship is is perhaps eroding. And so the intent of the divorce is to improve the relationship, not actually make it worse. And I think that is the biggest paradigm shift that we're really broadcasting through the Good Divorce Show is that you can get divorced to improve the relationship and improve your lives of you and your children. Otherwise, we just stay where we're at. And chances are, when we're already questioning the marriage, it's because we are in search of improvement. Now, the two of you have children going between two homes, but they also have a pet that goes between <laughs> two homes, which is a, probably a whole nother layer of negotiation. And I would love to hear, what what's the dog's name? Moose. Moose. <laughs> tell me the story of Moose. Mitch, do you want to tell it? Because <laughs> this is... This is 100% deferring to each other's strengths. And this was this, I give Aaron all the credit for this. So I, I am, I am not a dog person. I have zero interest in being a dog person. And, uh, and I remember, you know, Essie gets a lot of credit. Um, our, our daughter gets, a, I'm sorry, our daughter gets a lot of credit for it. Um, but our son was the one who killed me emotionally. So, uh, you know, going back to it, uh, Aaron was living in, in, in our tiny little house and, and I was living in an apartment and I was traveling a ton and our son came up to me and I don't know how old he was, maybe six, seven. Daddy, can we get a dog? Nah, I'm grumpy. No, we're not getting a dog. I don't have a yard. I travel all the time. You know, we're not getting a dog and, and that's that. And he's like, oh, I go, what's up, buddy? And he goes, well, I wanted a dog while I was little. <laughs> and then we go to my hometown, Central Valley, California, on Easter, and I hire my best friend's son to, to, to give my daughter some soccer lessons. You know, go, so they're at a park, they're getting soccer lessons. I get a call from Matthew, Mitch, your daughter found a dog. And it's nobody. She's going all over. She's knocking on doors. She's going up to everybody. It's nobody's dog. Mitch, she wants to bring the dog in the car. And I'm like, do not, I repeat, do not let her bring that dog in the damn car. <laughs> Next thing you know, he drives up, but you got to know our daughter. It's she's hard to stop. And then I get on the phone with Aaron and I'm, I remember distinctly, I'm in the backyard of my mom's house. I'm like, Aaron, we have a problem. This is, this is not good. Um, you know, I don't want these kids getting in touch to this, this little mutt. Um, and Aaron is like, hold on a second here. Let's just talk this through. How would it work? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! She's thinking about it, Aaron. She's pick up the story. It. So, and, yeah. Oh, sorry, Aaron, go no. ahead. So basically, just to give like a quick bit of backstory, that Essie, our daughter, totally manifested this dog. She like since Cole's initial question, they'd both been asking about a dog for a very long time, and then her stories became very specific. Like, so what would happen if a dog, a puppy, walked up to me at a party? Or sorry. What would happen if a puppy walked up to me at a park? Would we be able to keep it? And I was like, I know how you work. I'm not even, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to address this question. Like I was, I refused to even, you know, agree to anything. And I was like, I'm not going to No, we're not getting a dog. And then sure enough, a puppy walked up to her at a park, just like she had predicted. And there, there, it was, you know, they post, like they look for posted signs. They checked a Facebook page. No one, you know, there's a specific like lost dog Facebook page in Mitch's hometown and it wasn't listed anywhere. And we're like, okay, so I guess we have this dog. Oh and dear. I know, but it's been amazing. Like I, I actually call the dog, my third baby <laughs> and it's, um, it's just such a sweetheart and it stays with the kids. So it goes back and forth between Mitch's house and mine as the kids do. And I think the thing that's really great about it is it, it supplies this added layer of consistency mm -hmm. and, um, and then also neither of us ever have to worry about a dog sitter because it's, you know, if I have the kids, I'm not going to be traveling. And if Mitch has the kids, it's the same. So we're sort of like both freed up to not be dog owners. Another <laughs> benefit of the two household family. And Mitch, has your heart softened to moose? 
I told I told Aaron yesterday it was the weirdest thing because I was nice to Moose and no one was around. Um, no, the, the, look, the dog is so adorable; it's out of control. He he wins over anybody and everybody, non-dog lovers and even dogs who don't like little mutts. So don't tell the kids, but yeah, the dog is great. The dog is great. How long has Moose been in the family? Like a little over three years, I think. Long enough to know he gets to stay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It has been a total delight to hear a story of hope and collaboration and knowing that the good divorce doesn't mean it's just all easy. There are still all the struggles of co-parenting and being in a relationship with someone. I'm going to ask each of you, if you were to try to synthesize down sort of a bumper sticker statement, a little nugget of wisdom and advice that our listeners could take with them as they forge their own path towards a good divorce. And I always remind people, it's never too late to have a good divorce. So maybe you're down the road and you're listening to Aaron and Mitch, that there might be something that you can still apply to your own life. What comes to mind for each of you? I think for me, like here, you know, kind of hearing, hearing us talk about all of this out loud, you know, at this point, it, I, well, first of all, I, I feel really proud of both of us for how we handled it. And I, you know, I feel like if there's anything that I have taken away from it, the most meaningful thing has really been like, it really comes down to for us, it came down to the kids and like really prioritizing them and prioritizing them in a way that made our actions very, like it just made anything that needed to happen straightforward. Beautiful. How about you, Mitch? I guess I would say that, you know, your, your family and, and your joy can look a lot different than, um, than what, what you think it might look like. And it's yours to make. Yes. Spoken like a true artist. <laughs> the story is ours to write. The art is ours to make. And you have and continue to just foster this beautiful family story. Thank you, Aaron and Mitch, for opening your home and your heart and sharing the story with listeners And to all of you tuned in today to The Good Divorce Show, just remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.